want to share with you an experience that I had that was very atypical, but towards the, about 15 years ago, after graduating from seminary, my wife and I were invited by a friend of ours, a couple who'd graduated from seminary with us that were getting their PhD, Dave was getting his PhD in Durham, England, and uh, we decided that we were going to go visit them. We had an incredible visit uh, with our friends, and um, my eldest daughter was very young at the time, baby at the time, and so we, it was just a really special time for us. Well, after we'd been there a couple of days, I got out a map and noticed that the place where they filmed Chariots of Fire, the oldest golf course in the world, supposedly in St. Andrews, was just about a four-hour drive from our, where we were um, visiting. And I kind of talked my friend Dave into making the journey to go play golf at St. Andrews. Now, up until this time, Dave and I had played golf a little bit. I'm still, I've told you, I don't play a lot of golf. I'm a terrible golfer. But um, we, we, up until this time in Texas, when we golfed together, we'd play at this like $10 for 18 hole kind of course where uh, let's just say collars were optional and there wasn't a lot of country club. It was a lot more country than it was club. I'll just say that much. And it was a rough course, like grass was optional there, if you understand. So now we're going to go golf at St. Andrews. And now you can go today. And if you're curious to see uh, on the St. A- Andrews homepage, they have a, um, an entire document on their denim policy, right? Uh, they have dress codes that have dress codes that have dress codes, you know? And, and as we prepared for this time, we're getting nervous as we get closer. We made it there on time. We dressed appropriately. We're ready to experience this. And we go out to tee off for the very first time. And my buddy puts his ball down and he's about six inches ahead of the tee box where you're supposed to, like the rules. And I'll be honest, I didn't really care at all. He's probably going to beat me anyways. And this Scottish man comes out of the clubhouse and he's yelling. Um, he, used, he used words that I've never even heard of. He called him a bampot. Anybody know what that is? Had to look it up afterwards. And he said, you don't come to St. Andrews, the birthplace of golf, and break the rules on the first tee. You know? uh, uh, we, we laugh. We still laugh about that to this day. Now, now, we could have just ignored him, and he probably would have sent us the four hours home, and we wouldn't have had the privilege of participating, right? But what we did was we understood that we weren't uh, in a place that was familiar to us, but we kind of played by the rules temporarily, and then we went home together. In the context of the scripture that we're going to look at today, the Apostle Paul is going to find himself in a place in the world that was very different than what was natural for him. Athens is going to be a place that's so filled with gods, uh, these, these statues and places of worship that, that one scholar used to say, an ancient scholar in that time used to say, you'd be more likely to bump into a god, lowercase g god, than you would bump into a person. And, and statistically, he was right. We're told that there were some 10,000 people that were in that place at this time when the Apostle Paul was there, and there were some 30,000 statues of gods there. And, and, and this pantheistic form of worship defined what was normal for people. And there were other philosoph- philosophers and people who were wrestling through trying to discover cover some sort of truth there. And what we see in the text this morning is that the Apostle Paul is going to enter into this place, and we don't really know what the long-term plan was, but what we do know is that he chose to find these people in particular significant. They were people that believed differently than him, that had different values. Uh, if, if this was in, the, in modern times, they would have different signs out in their grass as to who they supported or what they vote, how they voted. Like, this was a different group of people than what he naturally was. 
But what he's going to do through the provocation of the Holy Spirit in his life, through God's work in hand in his life, is he's going to find them to be very significant. Uh, that, that basically he's going to work off a premise that I hope and pray that you and I do. And that is if a person is significant to the Lord, then they ought to be significant to you and I. And, and what he was willing to do, what the Apostle Paul was willing to do historically was that he was willing to understand what they valued. And what it did was it gave him an audience in order to share with them what they truly needed. And I think of this picture with the Apostle Paul, like I love this picture of the safe opening, that he opened doors for people who desperately needed hope. And he did so in a way that was unashamed of his beliefs. He didn't compromise. He didn't become one of them but he understood them enough to have an audience in their lives. You guys know what white noise is? Some of you go to sleep at night with white noise, whether that's a fan or it's a, uh, you like that. Have you guys seen the boxes where it gives, like it's intentionally designed to be noise that, that is undecipherable, right? And for some of us, our influence in the world around us is really like white noise, that we don't have any influence in their life. Because let's be honest, in the day and age that we live in, very few people are going, hey, I notice you're a Christian. Tell me about your beliefs. Tell me what it means for me to be safe. Tell me what that looks like. That is the rarest of rare in our society today. But what we're going to see today as we study the Apostle Paul's life is that he did a masterclass job of communicating to us how we can value a culture that's very different than us and be able to be willing to share the gospel. And what we're going to see at the end of this message is some believed that there were some people whose lives were radically changed because of his loving kindness. And it's essential for us to understand that understanding what others value can give you and I an audience to share what they truly need to understand. In this case, it's the gospel. Think of the Lord Jesus' life. That, that he, when he lived his life, he chose to value unlikely people. He listened to children. He cared about people who were physically disabled. That he was in a context where he chose to meet physical needs before he tried to meet spiritual needs. He sat down at the table of people who some would have said were inappropriate for him to even talk to. And so Jesus was a master at this. The Apostle Paul, I believe, learning through him and with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit is going to, to live out what we've been seeing through this unstoppable series. And that is that God chooses at times to use us as unlikely messengers of hope in the midst of environments that might feel initially like the doors are closed. Uh, this map is helpful for us to see as Paul continues through his second missionary journey, journey that he's gone from Troas to Philippi to Thessalonica. And we were last week in Berea. In fact, some of his friends are still in Berea. And the way the text begins now that he's moved into Athens, this incredibly religious place that's surrounded by all of these gods, 30,000 idol statues. You guys know this place with Athena, the goddess Athena, the Parthenon that was there and other dedicated temples to deities. And, and there were sacrifices to these demons and, or these false gods. In fact, the apostle Paul says this later in Corinthians. He says that these gods that people are worshiping, that they, they were, um, the way he says it in 1 Corinthians 10, 20, he says, no, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with that with demons. This, this statement here is he knew that what they were experiencing around him was evil. 
Uh, Allie and I uh, reflect on, we used to fly out of Las Vegas. And uh, when we'd fly to Ohio, you guys know we grew up in Ohio. Our family were here and we lived in California, but we'd drive to Las Vegas sometimes to fly out. And I can remember this kind of repellent time when we were there where I was pushing a stroller with our daughters in the, in the stroller on the streets of Las Vegas. And somebody walked up to me, I'm walking with my wife and hands me a, um, a card for an escort service. And then two, like a, a few steps later, someone hands me a card for a gentleman's club. And I say that in quotes, like it, it was a repellent, right? I mean, like just like afterwards, like this is, this is so broken. And the Apostle Paul, we're going to see this in the text, that he, he's going to have that same feeling. He's going to have this broken inside. Like, what is messed up? This is upside down, like we've been talking about, right? But, but in the midst of this, what we're going to see as we study this together is that if other people are significant to the Lord, they ought to be people who are significant to us. God showed how precious others are to him by sending his son to seek and to save that which was lost, making the ultimate sacrifice for the lost. I, I like this phrase, compassion requires seeing others, even those with a very different lifestyle and belief system as precious to God and therefore precious to us. I mean, this is not my idea. Uh, this is not my agenda this morning. This is what we see flow out of the biblical text this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 17. We're going to pick up in verse 16. And uh, a quick apology that I'll make on the screen, it says ESV, but it's actually the NIV. I cut and paste the wrong version of the text this morning, but I'll be reading from the NIV. We usually use the ESV here, um, but I'm going to read from it now. The differences are not very significant this morning. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, the, the them that he's waiting for, um, were Silas and Timothy, his co-evangelists. Uh, he's waiting for them in Athens, and he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. That, that phrase there is an incredible word in Greek, that it combines two familiar words there. One of them is the word to cut, and the other is to be close. And, and, and basically, this is a spurring on statement. The Apostle Paul is literally cut by the handiwork of God to say, this is broken. His heart was heavy. And what I love about the text here is that it describes him just waiting for his friends. I mean, let me confess to you that often the times when God does the mightiest things that I've had the privilege of partnering with him in were when I was waiting for something else to happen. Uh, my my to-do list was different for that day than what actually happened, right? And, and that's what happens for the Apostle Paul. He thought his day was going to look like one thing. But instead, while he's waiting, he sees these idols that are around him, these empty gods that represent some kind of religious worship. And it says that he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue. We talked about this last week. This is the word in Greek that we get the word dialogue from. He dialogued in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, in other words, Gentiles, and well as in the marketplace day by day, with those who happen to be here. I love markets. I love going to the West Side Market downtown. I love the views and the sun. Just seeing, well, this marketplace was more than just for fruits and vegetables, but it was considered, the Agora was considered the marketplace of ideas. It's where you came and, 
And in that context, you search for truth or dialogue or discussion, debate. You, you battled out what your views were. And here at the Agora, I, I can't help but guess, what, what is our Agoras today in the world we live in? Probably something to do with the internet. It might be Giant Eagle for some of you or the grocery stores at Marks that we connect together. I've seen some pretty good discussions happen there. Maybe it's Starbucks or Panera. Um, maybe it's the dining table. Maybe it's your office break room that you sit across and you have real conversations with people. In this context, they, in the Agora, spent time talking about ideas. And it says, it says this um, in, the, in the text, that it says that he reasoned with them in that marketplace day by day with everyone who happened to be there. So, so here, he, he knows that these people have very beginning, very different beginning points theologically, philosophically. They, they have a complete different view on God. Again, like I mentioned before, they would have had a different label placed upon them. But that did not stop the Apostle Paul from choosing to have the permission to engage. In other words, he did not have permission to disengage from these people just because he disagreed with them. Compassion requires seeing other people, even those with a very different lifestyle and belief system, as precious to God and therefore precious to us. Now, when I tell my Vegas story, I'm not saying we join them. Do you understand? And some people have gotten the wrong philosophy behind that. We, we, we just conform to the pattern of the world that's around us. That's not what the Apostle Paul does. What he does is that he humbly engages with them because of the fact that he wanted to communicate hope to them. Verse 18 says this, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? That word's fascinating. It's a description that was used to describe a, a bird that's pecking at seeds and kind of scattering it around. It was a, a put down to the Apostle Paul. Who's this idea, this seed flinger, this idea flinger? Does he even know what he's talking about? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So, so in this really, really dark place, the apostle Paul is declaring the message of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection is such an important thing for us when we communicate the gospel, because what it says about our God is not only does he understand the reality of death, but that he has overcome death. That ought to get you excited. Remember, it's his resurrection, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that allows us to anticipate our own physical bodily resurrection in the future. And, and there's this, these philosophies that would have been so common. He mentions by name Epicurean and Stoic. Let me just look at these briefly with you. The Epicurean philosophy of the day um, was an agnostic quest for peace and for pleasure. This was kind of a hedonistic view that allowed an individual to stand back and say, yes, I don't know God. God can't be understood. That's the agnostic view, at least to some level, that there may be a God, but he's unknowable. But the desire in the Epicurean philosophy was to attempt to, to pursue God, but ultimately to pursue happiness and comfort and joy. And in this case, the, the quote from Epicurus summarizes it well. Nothing to fear in God, nothing to feel in death. Good can be attained, evil can be endured. That, that description was very common. And even though 
Um, this philosophy was begun a couple hundred years before this. There were still disciples in that community that were preaching that message. The Stoic philosophy, the second one mentioned by name, followed the teachings of Zeno the Cypriot. And again, 300 years or so before this. And they placed great importance in living in, in harmony with nature. Um, Zeno famously said, the goal of life is living in agreement with nature. They stressed individual self-sufficiency and rationalism. They were kind of the smartest men in the room, took great pride in their ability to rationalize and to think through things. Pantheists who believe that God isn't in everything and everything is God. And, and there's a, a modern poet who has a version of this, W. Henley, when he writes, I am the master of my fate and I am the captain of my soul in his poem, Invictus. Some of you are familiar with it. So another view, very common view this day and age. A version of this is common in the world we live in. The other one that was around them everywhere was polytheism, the, the Greek mythology of polytheism. Do you guys like this picture of Zeus? It looks like he's kind of taking a selfie up there, doesn't it? Um, so so the, the polytheism of the day would have been an understanding that God is created in our own image that allows us in our very religious approach to life to, to see in God our fate, um, to spiritualize our actions, to entrust our decisions into the fate of others and to pray that we are protected from the pains of life. And this idea, this, this God created in the image of man was an empty one, but it was so incredibly common in the day. So the Apostle Paul sees this. This is the best part of this passage to me, is that he didn't just dismiss it. He didn't just say, how could they be so foolish? But instead, what he chooses to do is to use this as a foundation of understanding, to be able to communicate the truth of the gospel to them. So he says this in verse 19, he says, and when they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, again, another very famous place where laws were established, where, where debates took place, and uh, we, we know geographically that this was an incredible place in that community. And they say to him, may we know this new teaching that you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who live there spent their time doing nothing but talking about listening to the latest ideas. This, this description kind of describes them as being the seed peckers, right? There, there are people who are just like, what's trendy? What's new? What's the new information that's available? And here on this Mars Hill or perhaps a, another location in that area becomes a place where there's a defense for the gospel presented by the Apostle Paul. I love this. If you, if you were walking around in that time period with those 30,000 idols that were there, you might have noticed one that looked like this. This is, this is an altar that was there. And if you can look close, scribed on the side, scratched in the side is this phrase in Greek. It is, this altar is for the unknown deities. Now, what we understand about these these altars is they were places where sacrifices were given to particular gods. And here, this one was dedicated to, to ensure that no gods overlooked and, the, and possibly cause harm to the city. And so Paul says this in verse 22. He notices this and then he sees this. And he says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. I want to pause there for a second. This, 
recognition that, that the people that are around us in America today, very few of them are saying, hey, I, I want to know what you believe. Tell me, tell me about your faith. That's been not the norm in my encounters with people and having the privilege of sharing the gospel. But what the norm has been for me personally, and I hope you've seen this pattern, is if you're paying attention, you can often see what's precious to people, what's valuable to them. It says that the Apostle Paul carefully observed and here he says, so I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. He's got his opportunity to uh, approach this audience. And then he calls them ignorant, probably not as mean as it sounds. Uh, I don't recommend calling your coworkers ignorant. Um, uh, are you guys awake out there? Okay. Um, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So so Paul says, basically, this unknown God, I know him. He, he's my God. I know him. I would love to introduce you to them. And what I appreciate about the Apostle Paul here is he saw what everyone else saw, but he just looked at it through God's eyes. Isn't that profound? That, that he saw what everyone else saw around him, but he just chose to listen, or to look through it from God's perspective. And this leads to the second main point this morning, and that is valuing others and their viewpoints does not necessarily silence our voice. It can actually give us one. I love this, this passage in Colossians. Several of you have shared with me, hey, I'm praying for my son. I'm praying for my grandma. I hope my coworker um, has the chance that I have a chance to share the gospel with them. And this is the passage that I, I almost always go to. I love this, this verse or the set of verses in Colossians that that we ought to make the most of every opportunity. But probably my favorite part of this is towards the end. And that is this description of us taking this message and seasoning it with salt. Uh, that description is awesome. That, it, that we ought to, to make the gospel taste good to people who are outside of us. Yes, there's a preservative effect to that. But, but mostly what we're doing is we're taking the opportunity that God's presented for us. Paul does, does this masterfully here. In verse 24, it says that he showed us what it means to value these people and their viewpoints. He said, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples built by human hands. He could just point these massive buildings that had been constructed in honor of these, these lowercase g gods. Verse 25, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For one man, Adam, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands. This would have been a mind-blowing philosophy. But it was so profound that he continued on. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and to find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. I like this last, this last verse that... Paul is assuming that for some of these people, this religious quest for them, yes, they hadn't found the right, the right answer to their questions, but that religious quest that they were going through was a step towards understanding the living God. We can learn from that this morning. For some of us, we look at people around us that believe very differently from us, and we just choose to shut that door on them, to ignore them, or to say that's their choice. But instead, I think there's an opportunity in the midst of this to be able to say, yes, I understand that, that quest to know more about God. 
But let me tell you about my God. If you're aware of Romans chapter 1, it talks about creation in general. And it says that God's, God's qualities are visible in the design of creation. And, and for some of us, that, that is an irrefutable thing for us to be aware of. God designed his creation. But he goes on to say this in the text. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. This is fascinating to me in verse 28. The, the man who originally wrote those words was from the community that Paul grew up in, in Tarsus. And this was a play um, that was attributed to Zeus. And this description, we are his offspring, was a major um, aspect of this, this treatise that he'd given, this poem that he'd written, this performed piece. And I can't help but just wonder, the Apostle, the Apostle Paul sit in one of these performances and just stand back and just go, man, they're missing the one true God. They don't, they don't get it. They're searching for something that's out there. The Apostle Paul not only was aware of this view, but he quoted it because he understood how valuable language is. As a, an old youth pastor, I used to serve as a youth pastor in California. And one of the things that I love to do, and I still do this every once in a while, is to read um, uh, books that were written for, for teenagers. And one of the reasons that I chose to do that was because um, it gave me an opportunity to understand what was valuable to the students that the Lord had called me to serve. And, and, and it was one of those times for me, just as in, in my own life, there's lots of those where uh, not necessarily maybe my first choice offhand, but in the middle of the process, what it does is it gives us language to make a connection together. And in this context here, I think the Apostle Paul did this. He read what was valuable to others in order to communicate to them that they were valuable to him. Verse 29, therefore, since we are God's offspring, again, they were defining that God as Zeus. He's defining that God, capital G God, the one true God. We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image to be made by human design and skill, which again would have been everywhere around them. And, in, and here what we see is that he's describing this truth in such a way that, and then in verse 30, he goes on to say this, that such a way that it is relevant and powerful. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Now, I want to pause here for a second as we're looking at this. So the Apostle Paul did not agree with their ideas. He confronted their ideas. He did so compassionately. This call to repent is a call to change their minds, to turn away from these things that fell short of the glory of God. And here he makes this call, and then he does something that's quite unusual. He talks about judgment. And I just want to remind you, as he talks about judgment, that the Apostle Paul believes something that I believe is essential for us to remember. And that is every human being in the history of the world is eternal. That, that God has told us very clearly in his word that we will all anticipate a judgment by God. Now that judgment, that word is a hard word in our society. We think of judgment often as being something that's really negative, but I want you to think about it and understand it from God's perspective for the Christ follower, that the judgment seat of Christ is actually the graduation seat of Christ. It's a celebration. It's a recognition that when I stand before God, this is my belief and understanding in the gospel of Christ, that I don't stand before God under that judgment based upon my merits, my resume, my history, but instead what Romans says is I'm clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. That's really encouraging to me. 
Because of the other alternative to that, the, the other judgment that I would have would be what we understand as the great white throne judgment, where Satan, where his demons will be judged, where those later who would believe during this a thousand year time period of the reign of the Lord. And, and that judgment is one that is going to have some individuals who stand before God and they are judged based upon their own merit. My, my good, this is the statement that I say to you guys that, that if we're trying to jump the Grand Canyon, some of us can jump a little bit further, but it doesn't necessarily mean that any of us are going to be able to cross that thing. If I'm judged by my own merit, I'm always going to fall short. And what the Apostle Paul says in his belief and understanding of that is he loves these people that he's speaking to so much that he's going to be willing to share this truth to them. I wonder... For us, if we love the people that we're speaking to enough to share this kind of truth with them. Verse 31, for he was set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. We know who that man is. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the center of God's plan for history and it's the basis for our hope in the future resurrection of the body. This fact that all people are eternal and that judgment is imminent ought to motivate us to be people who offer hope lavishly. This image is in France, this, this picture. There was this, this phrase in the old days that, that said that, that all roads lead to Rome. You may have heard that phrase before. And what the, the Apostle Paul is saying here is that God in his infinite wisdom is saying that all roads are going to lead to this judgment process. And, and we can deny that fact, we can ignore it, but it doesn't make it any less true. That all roads are going to lead to a day of reckoning for every person. And he goes on to say this, um, we don't have the slide up here, but I want you to hear this in verse 32. It says, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. And I think that that's probably why many of us have given up on choosing to be um, willing to share the gospel with others. Is we've had family members who've sneered at us. We've had people who've looked at us and said, how could you as a thinking person believe this? But it's not the only response to the gospel. It says, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. In other words, he'd seasoned it with salt they wanted more. In verse 33, it says, And at that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. I love that they're named. So, so all this work, the Apostle Paul, you guys remember, he was just waiting for somebody else to show up, right? He, he thought these days were going to look very differently but because of his understanding of how precious people are to God, he chose to make them precious to himself. And I want to challenge us as we close this message this morning. Uh, it's a goofy illustration to begin with, uh, the St. Andrew's illustration. But there was a price of admission for us to be a part of that. There were rules that we had to follow. There was, it was necessary for us to be able to participate in this experience that we wanted and I, I can't help but think the Apostle Paul models an example for us of what it means for us to have a voice in a, in a generation that doesn't always agree with our voice. And what it means for us to have a voice when there are people who are around us who believe the exact opposite of the things that we hold dear. 
But if we choose to still keep our voice, it is possible that we can see individuals, some of which become followers. You notice in this text that the gospel never changes. The gospel stays the same. This is the good news of salvation through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It just was put in a language and a context that was understandable for some. And while some mocked, some wanted more. And I pray for us as a church family that we would be people that understand how precious the gospel is, then also how precious those who have the potential of receiving it are to our Lord. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word that you promise us that it will not return void. And I just prayed this morning for, for any of us that are caught in some of those patterns of the world, uh, that, that some of its philosophies, these empty gods that, that overpromise and underdeliver. Um, Lord, would be shaken out of, out of our priorities, Lord, that we choose to set those things aside, that we would understand what it would, it would be to be people who take you completely at your word, that see our hope in you. And I just thank you, Lord, for this example from the mighty hand of, of your work on behalf of these people that you chose to use this man, the Apostle Paul, who humbly was willing to listen to see, and then to take the opportunity to speak boldly of our hope, the hope that we have in you. Lord, may that be our stories today. May that be our stories this week. May we lift your name high. Lord, as we um, continue on in this worship service, I love the, the words of this song. As we, we say who you are, Lord, that we believe it. Lord, I pray that as we sing and declare these powerful truths that that these would not just be for our place of worship and this safe environment that is the church, um, Lord, but I pray that this would be what we are willing to humbly declare to a world that desperately needs hope. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.